Borak Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad. I'll upset my friend Fox. This is the 195th episode of Space Spinner Man. 2000. Man. Yeah, whatever. A podcast where two Americans try to make sense. The UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD. One month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for January 1989. Mm. Prog 608 to 611. This time, Nemesis is heading out. Tanner is on the case. Judge Anderson's making contact. Haphazard's filling space and zippy couriers arrive in style as Judge Dredd is headed to Hondo for robot espionage. It's, uh, oh man. This is, uh, uh, this is a great month, Conrad, full of thrills. There's ups and downs. (laughs) I think we can agree on that. Mostly, mostly a lot of like, you know, it, it's going to be interesting when we get to top and bottom here because there is not a lot to just kind of like say, it, there's not a lot of cho- uh, options. You know what I mean? I feel like there's a couple things that really identify themselves at the top and a couple things that really <laughs> identify themselves at the bottom. You know, gone are those, are those heady days where we had to give something bottom just by process of elimination, Fox. Yeah, um. I, I miss the hard times. <laughs> I mean, it's a, I don't mind the easy times, I guess. Listen, we got... We got plenty of hard times coming up, Daddy. Don't worry. Oh. Um, anyway, if you want to, <laughs> Dusty Rhodes. If you want to read along, that should be. If you want to read along, that should find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread: The Complete Case Files Twelve, Judge Anderson Sci Files One, Nemesis: The World Three, Daily Dreads Two, and the Judge Dread Magazine Three Three Eight. And uh, before we get started, Fox, I just want to talk right. a little bit. Okay, I just want to do a little thing just for the state of play. I've been doing this um, in the January episode the last couple of years mm-hmm. of just what's going on with 2000 AD in this coming year, sort of behind the scenes. <laughs> you know, we mostly come at this stuff through the comics, so it's, I think it's interesting to sort of come at things also from the background. I guess, yeah, if, sure. Know, not, not to make it a big part, but it's a thing. Set and most the of the information here is. Yeah, and most of my information here is coming from uh, Thrill Power Overload, the uh, the 2008 ebook. Um, so basically, as we go on, Richard Burton still editor. He's got assistance from Alan McKenzie, who's the assistant editor. Um, and you'll remember Fox back in 1987, 2000 AD, with the rest of the IPC Youth Group was bought by Robert Maxwell's Fleetway Publications. Yep. And I, th- I mentioned this in Spinnies, but basically. Um, you know, their big changes were it was a failed attempt to do a Batman crossover and then the introduction yeah. of two new yearly specials. Um, yeah. Had a little discussion with the winter special just about how that, that one's kind of a scam. If just because it's uh, <laughs> it's it's double the price of the other specials, but it comes out to an annual season. So it's just an attempt to uh, to make some more money off of uh, unsuspecting mm-hmm. gift buyers, basically. Um, so... The big thing we've seen the court. Uh, sorry. So uh, otherwise, though, this merger is going pretty poorly. Uh, oh, the comics yeah. group has been warehoused with the rest of Maxwell's magazine publishing, and a longtime managing director of the of the of the of the comics group, John Sanders, is going to quit in disgust with the situation in early 1989. Though he will be brought back later, soon, 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 late, soon on as a uh, as a consultant. All right. Uh, the working conditions and pay rates for creators for 2000 AD remain abysmal as always to the point uh, that there's actually a, a time where most of the editorial staff gets fired and rehired as freelancers basically Ugh. just so they can get a, a decent amount of pay. Oh, my God. Um, as I mentioned, actually, in the uh, in the Spinney's last episode, we are going to see a whole bunch of new writers and artists 
over the course of especially the first half of this year, I think. Um, but a lot of that is basically trying to find new people to fill the, a five pages longer comic as their established writers and artists move to either other industries Ugh. flat out or to uh, to the U.S. to do superhero stuff, which pays much better. It is obvious. Well, I guess uh, not. there's some there's some good in here. Yeah, you know. I mean, there's good stuff, but there's also stuff that's clearly filler. Yeah, you know, as yeah. as we'll as we'll discuss. Um, All's not lost, though, I should say, Fox. Partway through the year, a new managing director, uh, John Davidge, comes in and would push for improved conditions for 2000 AD, including slightly better printing and, most importantly, new contracts for creators that would cut them in a bit on merchandising and reprints of material. Nice. Um, it's clearly seen as a um, – it's, it's, it's a drive to, to stop this talent drain to the states, although in a throw power overload, uh, Mc, Steve McManus describes it as a too little too late. But uh, at the very least, it will keep Pat Mills working at the Prague, which will in turn lead to a story that will revitalize the comic about which more about seven episodes. Okay. Rad. Yeah, it should be good. Um, you know, I think we're very much just we're this we're entering into a into a rough patch, you know, or we're in the middle of a rough patch of 2000 AD right now. You know, we sort of saw it in the second half of 89. Mm. We'll see it in the first half of it or the, the second half of 88. And we'll continue in the second half of 89, hopefully Oof. trending upwards, at least until we enter into the 90s. And then we enter our rough patch for completely different reasons. So it should be exciting. <laughs> Hooray, we're so close to that sweet, sweet uh, fool's gold that is the 90s. Listen, there's just, you know, it's one of those things where just, uh, you know, this hot, this this bathtub's never going to be just the right temperature, Fox, you know? <laughs> it's going to be too cold or too hot or too whatever, no matter what. Or too whatever. I guess, I guess this jello is fine. Yeah. And uh, speaking of ways that uh, ladies relax after work, Fox, or oh just people, God. I guess. I don't yeah. want to gender that, but I like, guess related to the f- font, to the uh, to the thrill. Uh, thrill one, Anderson side division. It is a little actualizing, isn't it, dude? Like a little Listen, chat. Everyone enjoy their baths, man. It's good times. Get mm-hmm. some salts in there. Ooh. Drop bath bomb. Oh, you I, know. Like a, I like me a bath bomb. Live your life. Scripture about Alan Grant. Art about Mark Farmer. Letter about Tom Frame. So. Judge Cassandra Anderson has been dispatched to make contact with an alien race approaching Earth in a giant ship. And she is free. Yeah, she likes astral projection and like she's space projection. That's crazy. Yeah, she has some like thinking moments about just like, man, space. Am I right? And then exactly. (laughs) It's pretty good. Wow. Space. Uh, We see. Yeah. So she goes from the good old Justice One to this alien ship, worried that what they'll be like. She finds some very gray alien looking figures sitting around a table inside their ship. Mm -hmm. They can apparently see her astral projection and soon communicate with her telepathically. Yeah, they don't seem to. They don't seem too bugged by it. They're like, oh, just an astral projection, you know. I mean, they know what's going on, and yeah, and they're all ladies. Woo! Woo! Whatever the equivalent of nineteen of girl power is in nineteen eighty nine. All right. Yeah, um. and they, you know, they have a little chuckle. You know, yeah. Uh, welcome, man, man, mind. I'm a woman. Oh, yeah, us also, and then laugh. They drink space booze and tell stories of their respective homelands. Mm-hmm. These aliens are intergalactic traitors, and MC1 is a hell pit, as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, they part as friends, and Anderson's pretty happy with it all. They want to trade for salt, which powers their ship. And, of Seems course, the rad. folks in charge, yeah, they're very interested in a salt-powered hyperdrive. <laughs> I mean, we got a lot of salt on this here planet. 
I mean, you know, there's a black Atlantic full of it. Once Whoa. Anderson's debriefed, side judge Svengal's brought out. And basically, she, as Anderson's been explaining what the situation, Svengal's been like uh, mind probing her to make sure that she hasn't been suborned by these evil alien people. I mean, seems and, legit, but, you know, also like surprise mind probing is kind of a dick move. You got to have layers and layers of uh, counter-espionage, buddy, or else your uh, sleeper cell murder bot goes crazy. Oh, as um, we'll find out later. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, everything is, he seems pretty good, so let's head back to Earth. Sweet. But on the, yeah, on the way back, though, Anderson's getting pretty paranoid. What if the aliens are fooling her and they're actually 20-foot-long poison maggots? God, I um, hate it when aliens fool around with my mind zone and they're actually these poison giant maggots. <laughs> Get Ugh. out of my jacked zone. I know. <laughs> a space judge tries to reassure her, but it's no use. She's so plagued by worries when they arrive on Earth, and everyone's freaked out by this giant alien spaceship district nining over Mega City One. <laughs> also, is it just me, or do all space judges just have mustaches? Is that like a thing? It feel like it could be a thing. You know, they're 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 wearing them in honor of Lopez. Lo, oh. may we forget. No, you know? never forget old Lopez. Although, you know. Exactly. It's just against regulation, man. He really flaunted it's those not. rules. <laughs> it's not against regulation. It's just true. Really... Dredd just doesn't like it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's just Dredd's personal fashion choice led to this innocent judge being forced to lick a space frog and see the future and die because <laughs> of it. All right? I haven't forgotten. Uh. <laughs> Got to lick your space toads, I guess. Yeah. Oh, didn't they so also some, get like every, the thing wanted to eat everything? Cook it in a stew. No, I forget. Did I know it? Dread wanted to get eaten by that giant space frog before he got the the, the extraction from it that he used to yeah. eventually find the judge child. There was like a witch, witch doing the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. <laughs> You know, Murd, I want to say oh, his yeah. name was. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the frog was like sag be sage belly or something. Yeah, he yeah. fed people to the frog, and that's where the frog, and that's where the frog's uh, extractions could see the future. Making me think of these old thrills frogs <laughs> it's like four hundred frogs ago. It's you real bastard. difficult. <laughs> I got a lot of a lot of thrill power stuck in my brain. <laughs> it's bad times. I I trust you to be the Conrad database that I need. <laughs> So there's some nervous tension between basically MC1 defenses and this ship. But before the judges can open fire, Anderson reconnects with them and is able to redirect them to a landing site 10 miles out on the cursed Earth. Sweet. Let's Dragon Ball Z over there. Exactly. When they arrive, though, Dredd is there to arrest the ship so they can impound it and get the star drive. <laughs> He's really, I'm just like, how would you even, you know what I mean? Seriously. The quartet of alien ladies, though, comes out of the ship just as Anderson saw them and give her the lowdown that this ship is full of 20,000 of their of their comrades armed with ultra-advanced mm -hmm. weaponry. Hey, listen, man. You can try to do what you think you're going to do, but we're not going to get jacked by some a-hole who's got a stick up their ass and too tight of boots. It's not their first salt rodeo, buddy. <laughs> and indeed, this seems to cow Dredd, eh? Although it does see Mark Farmer's having a little bit of trouble drawing Dredd's helmet, which I can empathize with. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird. The judges, yeah, the judges back off, and it's time to make a salt deal. The end! Sweet. What a, what a fast one-and-done Anderson. I mean, it was a, it was a three for, it was a three progger, but just mm -hmm. a fun yeah fun little story. It's cute. I think just kind of to, yeah to bring Anderson a little bit back into the consciousness. It's been a little while since we've seen her. Hey man, um, I'm all right with that. And we're and we're about to get a ton more Anderson. Actually, I'm um, so stoked for all of that. 
Definitely. We'll get two different stories next episode. And indeed, right after this story, we see um, uh, uh, an image from the upcoming story, Helios, by, mm-hmm. but with, with, with art by David Roach. And I'm really excited. David Roach did that, uh, the art for Purity story. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Nemesis story. And so he's just real good at drawing uh, heroic ladies. So I'm pretty yeah, pumped. Man. I really like that uh, that that one-pager art piece that they did where she's just, you know, just a bunch of like – uh, psi yeah. spots yeah, you see going all the, everywhere. All the psychic junk blasting out of the back of her as she bra- reads someone's brain. It's cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of Judge Anderson, Fox, <gasps> thrill to the Daily Dreads. Uh, right. Filler here. Uh, script uh, robot John Wagner <laughs> and Alan Grant. Art robot Ian Gibson and Lingerie robot Unnamed. I'm assuming Tom Frame. Yeah, filler so just here. Reprints. Yeah, reprints of the daily of the of the Judge Dredd comic strips that ran the Daily Star. I'm assuming these ones are from March 1987. So, uh, Zonda Vox is a movie star working on the movie The Bride of Judge Death, and is apparently also latently psychic because the stress of having to kiss a fake death and like the wedding scenes and stuff has been causing her to pass out and animate a second projection of death to kill her enemies. Uh, sure, as you do, and yeah. uh as much as that is true and she had no control over it nor did she know uh she did commit uh you know what is that second degree murder people are dead one way or another you know (laughs) so you're gonna go to the goddamn cubes i mean i think it's like psychic manslaughter kind of if an unknown thing ends i don't know that's uh, true yeah, D- judges Dredd and Anderson are on the case. Dredd coming, and, and and they're going to bring in Zonda. But when they arrest her, she passes out, and Dredd suddenly appears. Mm. Luckily, the infernal lawman is mostly here to complain, not to kill. She, she's got a very inf- <laughs> incredible Hulk. Uh, Stop hounding me, sort Mar- of attitude. Um, so the judges are able to just yeah, they're able to hit him with like drop kicks and punches and stuff. Though of course, bullets the bullets they do noshing. Um, mm-hmm. There's only one way to deal with this monster, and that's for Dredd to keep Death busy while Anderson jacks into Zonda's mind. Gives her, you know, well, kind of a, a temple massage as she yeah, s- stops it from happening, you know? Standard psychic moves here, and Anderson's mm-hmm. real good at it, so she just instantly zaps the monster away. And Zonda Vox is taken to a high-security cube to determine oh. if her gifts can be used for the, by the Justice Department. Oh, this ends real fucked up. if she'll just be locked in there forever. Good times. Yeah, it's just like, all right. We're going to just hook you into this machine and have you constantly sedated until we decide what to do with you, which is either lock you up forever or turn you into a weapon. So, that's rad. right. Presumably they'll shave her head or something. That's, you know, you got to be psychic. Yeah, you can't have hair. Of course, man. And probably put her into some, like, goo milk so that people can foresee, like, potential crimes. You know what I say to mm. that fox? What do you say? I say, adieu to goo. <laughs> and konnichiwa. Two, oh. thrill three, Judge Dredd. Kombanwa, uh. <laughs> <laughs> baby. Uh, script robot John Wagner, art robot Colin McNeil, art robot Tom Frame. Oof. Oof, a yeah, for, buddy. For, Oof. It's tough, man. Uh, well, I, 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 so I, I mean, we'll get to yeah. it. We, there, there's some good with some bad here. Yeah. So first time on Dredd for Colin McNeil, who will remember really from beautiful. these recent... Uh, yeah, he's he was just on uh, on that recent Chopper story, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Heart of Fire, and we saw him also in, a, in the Strontium Dog story, uh, the Asari case. It's a neat painterly kind of style, you know what I mean? Definitely. We're really taking advantage of what these color pages are allowing us to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll go on to do some really amazing Dread stuff in the future. This story is pretty interesting because just for the introduction of Hondo City in, in full onto the Dread world. Mm-hmm. 
I'm very happy it's no longer called what it was before. I, th- I think it's been both like Nipsit and Japsit yeah, um, in, the, in the pages. This this feels a little bit better, you know. So Hondo, Hondo's much better from that. And um, although this, although while that's respectful, I think the, this story's use of uh, of wonton font and a stereotypical uh, writing style and narration boxes mars this story. Uh, I mean, quite literally, if they got rid of all of the narration boxes, I think. I mean, we talked about this like a bit prior to the show. Yeah, this this is uh, elsewise perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I mean, um. Yeah, it's very like you know, it basically talks like uh like I always think of it as a like like a hop sing on the show Bonanza. Yeah. Or just sort of general kind of like broken English, like uh but also like then like this feels has some John Wagner elements as well, where it's sort of, you know, trying to like 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 a humorous broken English, you know, uh, it's just dread number one tough customer, etc. Yeah, I, I just you know, there is a word for for murders other than unfortunate happenings, right? Indeed. Yeah, and then just the general so sorry stuff, which just reminds me of a Krusty the Clown doing oh. that as a stand-up routine <laughs> in like the mid nineties. Um, but so, and you know, this story is also it's this it's a pretty solid example of a late eighties, early nineties like Japanophobia in science fiction, actually. Yeah, kind of. Um, where we see the Japanese as these inscrutable masterminds with complex senses of honor, but also, you know, killer instincts or, you know, just like a real like drive to be, mm. be- the best at everything. Um, it's a, it's a feeling that underpins a lot of cyberpunk, actually. Yeah, like, yeah, if, yeah. If you're familiar with that stuff. Well, I mean, um, this definitely feels that way. I mean, the clothes alone are really fucking great throughout this entire yeah. thing. I especially or like, like you, the yeah. opening lady in a kimono with, you know, 1980s welcome to the internet visor sure and like you know you just see a lot of this japan stuff like i for me it's not really sci-fi but i think a prime example is the michael crichton book slash wesley snipes uh, sean connery movie uh rising sun just oh, this, i've never together. seen that it's a, it's an it's i wouldn't say it's a good film <clears throat> i would say it's an interesting film just in the sense of like what people were afraid of with relation to Japanese mm. people in the early 90s. Gotcha. I mean, they <laughs> I were obsessed also, with us at the time, so. I mean, you know, it it, go, it, it, go, it goes both ways, I think. Um, <laughs> it does. And I should say that this story, yeah, well, like, you know, I mean, again, just in certain corners, I think, you get a lot of Japanese obsession, you know, to this day. Mm-hmm. Listen, but I should, I'll say also that uh, this story, the name of the story, Our Man in Hondo, is a reference to the satirical spy novel, Our Man in Havana. Just ah, FYI. okay. So, anyway, all that said, <laughs> in Hondo City, there's been a scaffolding collapse, and among the victims is Ueno ha- Hama. Mm-hmm. He survived the collapse without physical injury, but it's still pretty bad because he's a robot of some kind, and yep. he just starts, you know, he pushes his way out of the scaffolding, then drops it on somebody else, killing them, basically. I know. Everyone's like, damn, you strong, bud. You're so great. Whoa, I'm almost free. you killed that guy. And then smush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> that geez. guy's nuts. At the same time, Dredd is arriving to Hondo to much fanfare for a meeting of an interjudicial crime charter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dredd's counterpart apparently is Judge Inspector Totaro Sadu, mm-hmm. who has a translator. And uh, the man – and and I, I want to say these Hondo City uniforms, like you said, are really amazing. They're basically oh, so a awesome. mashup of like samurai and like Gundams basically. And, and, <laughs> just, like, and just like tight colored leather which is also yeah. white and red because you know gotta gotta support our nationalism however my favorite accoutrement possibly the piece de resistance 
is mm. the fucking nunchucks attached to his belt. <laughs> oh, and, have and, those. and the zipper right above the crotch line, which I feel like, hey, guys, Mega City One needs to take some notes here. I like the uh, I just like the helmet design like that. Um, oh, like the yeah. Opening for the eyes is really improbable, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um there actually, there are some cosplayers out there that have done the Hondo City oh, um, that's great. outfit, and it's real nice. That's I'm surprised, so actually, that that he has nunchucks, because I know nunchucks are very controversial in um, mm. in, in the UK at this time, like along with calling the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the uh, Teenage Mutant Hero, Hero Turtles. Turtles. yeah. I believe they also took away uh, Michelangelo's nunchucks and used something else in the no course of the show. No ninja stars either. Mm-mm. Nah. Teach these kids a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> Not like um, our billy clubs or or like blackjacks no. or anything like that. Those are fine. Exactly. Yeah, so it seems negotiations must be delayed because of some recent assassinations and Dred's annoyed. And then Sadu asks if through the translator if he's ever engaged in the in a fight with ritual tendo staves. Ooh, tendo, and, not kendo. Because this one's when, got kind of a sickle on it. Exactly. When Dred says no, Sadu offers to show him the technique in English. And I guess he can speak English, but has an interpreter for face reasons. This is very, again, very typical of this kind of like late 80s, early 90s. Like we're talking to Japanese people and they use a translator. But then it turns out they actually can speak Whoa. English because they're inscrutable. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. I'm too important to talk directly to you. Something like that. Um, anyhow, but neither Dredd nor the diplomat Appleton understands these guys. Mm. Um Meanwhile, at a sumo well, and, match. Well, the- what's funny, Appleton's been there for 12 years and he's like, I don't get it. And I'm like, I, there's no way you could be a part of an ambassadorial like detachment for 12 years and not like at least. I mean, he's really got to go out of his Man. way not to immerse himself in any way. Their ways are complex and mysterious, Fox. I and technology's only made them more so. Hmm. Um or something, I, whatever. Um, at a sumo match, oh, Hondo, awesome. uh, a Hondo munitions minister is exploded by a bomb. Yeah, his butt. They, In fact, yeah. they specifically say his hindquarters were parted. Oh, no. At the same time, Hondo judges are investigating the murder of a professor at a sushi bar. Both uh, folks, or at both seats, witnesses of both scenes identify the killer as Hama. Oh, and also, he killed a man with chopsticks at that sushi bar. In the neck. Yeah. At the same time, the diplomat is briefing Dread on the situation, and it seems that this Hama guy was a deep cover assassination robot placed in Hondo by Mega City One. This is pretty rad because he then goes to explain, like, dude, we've got these like everywhere, you know? Yeah, we we gotta. <laughs> they basically. I, I mean, this feels like a lesson of the apocalypse war, basically. Mm-hmm. That um, if a if war like they they placed all these deep cover assassination bots everywhere, and if one of the other factions like attacks Mega City One, they'll flip the switch, and suddenly there'll be a bunch of like difficult to kill murder bots wandering the city, killing people in high positions in the in the in that city's government. Fucking smart. It's cool. But it, but not cool in a diplomatic sense. No. If Hondo's found, if if Hama's found, investigated, it'll be a disaster for diplomatic relations. Maybe start oh, yeah. a war. So Dred's got to head out and cover it up. All right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, deep cover, more like deep killing. Mm, I don't deep know. Deep out of the covers. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> Sexy? Question mark. Deep. I'm staying. Ooh. I'm staying at a Motel Six, so I got to get this top cover off because it's super gross. Manchurian Candabot. <laughs> Candabot. Um, <laughs> Dread is. 
<laughs> so Dredd's briefed on Hama's targets and heads out to try to catch the robo-assassin before he can strike again. Meanwhile, Sadu has identified Hama and finds that his apartment is clearly when inhabited by some kind of deep cover sleeper assassin droid. Yeah, it's just uh, like, man, look, there's no bedroll or food or fucking toothpaste. You guys, like, I mean, this is weird, right? <laughs> This guy's a robot, murder bot. Dread finds immediately jumps to that conclusion. <laughs> yeah. Dread finds another of Hama's targets dead and moves to another one in a geisha house. Hama's there, and we get some, uh, some fun robot samurai sword oh, stuff, including uh, decapitations. But then the Hondo judge catches up to him. My favorite part com- is that he cuts off his yeah. head and it lands in a bowl of soup. Or no, sorry, Very in his cool. own blood and kind of soup. It's real yeah. gross. Nice. <laughs> um the, ju- the Hondo judges have cut up with him, and they start shooting him, but he's unharmed. You know, you need more than bullets, re- regular bullets, I guess. Um, Dread rolls up on several units of Hondo judges preparing to take down Hama, and the jig just might be up. Oh, another awesome thing here is that they're um, not kendo sticks. Tendo? Tendo sticks? Tendo staves. Uh, staves yes. also are their guns. So, like, a shick happens, and, like, the little... The little like firing mechanism is out. It's pretty cool, yeah. man. It's a it's yeah, an all stuff. purpose. Absolutely. So the Hondo judges pull out sweet lasers to fight Hama, but the robot's <laughs> an able fighter even in the dark. Meanwhile, oh, yeah. Appleton, the diplomat, is packing his bags because if Hama's is a is a discovered that then that he's got to get out of here. Oh, I love his um, predator vision, by the way, here too, where it's just kind of super pixelated, but it's all heat signature based. No, well done, but by hand here mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, Hama realizes the game is up. One of his legs has been blown away, but it can still fulfill one of its tasks as it notices, as it notices Inspector Sadu standing out on the street. <gasps> Dread spots the killer bot as it as it prepares to strike and opens fire. It just explodes a barrel. Yeah. Hama falls from the side of a building and runs with Dread in pursuit. And as he does, he blasts a fuel storage tank the robot's running next to with high mm. explosive rounds, causing a massive explosion. Oh, it's pretty cool. And he's just like, what would you do that for? Why'd you do that? Uh, that's that's real weird. I'm going to shove a truth or truth machine in your face. Exactly. All evidence is destroyed, but Sadu is suspicious. How did Dredd know to come out here? What's going on here with this come buddy? On, buddy. <laughs> Dredd denies everything, so Sadu pulls out a lie detector and demands a straight answer, or Dredd will go to the Hondo Cubes. Ah, uh, yeah, but he's got a way around that dog. It's called Diplomatic right. Eye Immunity. Yeah, Dread Lethal Weapon 2's his way out of this questioning. <laughs> Sadie will just have to deal with a written statement because he's got the diplomatic immunity. Uh, Dread and Appleton strategize. Maybe it's not what they say in this situation, but how they say it. And when mm. the statement is delivered, the Hondo, the, uh, Hondo judges are, of course, skeptical. And Sadu has uh, seemed to actually have completely figured out just what this whole <laughs> sleeper bot situation was completely. He's a pretty good and judge. Yeah. Basically, they know it's an act of war if they can prove it, and Sadu's determined to get down to the bottom of the truth. Mm. The uh, the Justice Charter talks they're working on break down, but before Dredd leaves, Sadu offers a chance to teach him about the Tendo stave, mm. and Dredd agrees. So, at the fighting dojo or whatever, um, <laughs> we learn that the Tendo stave, yeah, it's this cane-length staff. It's got a, a thick spike coming off of it, kind of like a field hockey stick, yeah, I want to say. Yeah, but it's meant for grappling. Like, uh, yeah. it's not meant for stabbing. The spike seems pretty sharp, but yeah, it like a, like a pick or something. Mm-hmm. But... In, the, in, in traditional fighting, at least, it's only used to hook or pull, not to stab or gouge. Mm-hmm. So, 
Dredd and Sadu go to fight, and Sadu's talking real philosophical during this whole thing as he kicks Dredd ass. Dredd's ass. Yeah. It really reminds me of um, this very early '80s uh, Wolverine miniseries Ooh. by uh, Chris Claremont and Frank Miller, which is the like basically why everyone likes Wolverine. <laughs> is, this, <laughs> or, is this Wolverine goes to Japan? Yeah, exactly. It's a four-issue miniseries, and it's real freaking awesome. Mm. Um, and it opens with um, basically Wolverine's Japanese girlfriend's dad's uh, kicking his ass with uh, with Boken, one of those wooden practice swords, mm-hmm. and making Wolverine look look like a real chump as he does. It's pretty cool. Damn, and just like almost kills him with it and stuff. It's great. Oh fuck! Um, real good story. One of my favorites, honestly. Um, but anyway, but this, and so this is reminiscent of that, I feel like, where sort of uh, Sadu's sort of talking about, like, balance and um, grace as mm. he's just kicking the shit out of Judge Dredd. It's pretty excellent. <laughs> um, so Dredd's knocked out, and as soon as they are, they uh, inject him in the back with Gotta a needle of Gotta get him the truth juice. Exactly. Two hours later, Dredd comes out of the training area, seeming none the worse for wear, and offers Sadu a rematch with Daystix. Back at the console, Dredd removes the recording device hidden in his badge and gets a recording of those Hondo judges questioning him. Luckily, Dredd saw this coming and took a drug of his own to plant false memories of a cover story, in this case that Hama was a robot stolen from Mega City 1 by a Hondo City exile group to to spark a war between the two cities. Uh Very tricky. Yeah. They fell for uh, it. Yeah, his false memories tricked the lie detector, and so the day is saved generally, though Dredd <laughs> would like a rematch, and he might just get one eventually. It's just like patting his, his hand with a day stick, like, oh, I'm going to beat the shit out of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, good Dredd story here generally, mm-hmm. slightly spoiled by, by the narration, I think. Um, yeah, like, it is, like, all of the art's great, the story's rad, like, I like this kind of Manchurian Candabot kind of yeah. thing. Um <laughs> I like again. I'm. I love the way that everything looks in New Hondo. Yeah, definitely. It's just real cool. Yeah, we'll get more Hondo stuff generally, though. I think it'll mostly be in the magazine as the years uh, go by. Okay. You know, sadly enough. Mer. Um, yeah, me. But uh, you know, in the thin, the uh, in the discussion of things that might be a little disappointing going forward, let's go to non thrills, covers, and nerve center. Uh. Oh, yeah. I mean, always I, complaining. I like Judge always Monroe. complaining about these non-thrills. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Prog six oh eight. Brendan McCarthy gives us a very interesting Judge Inspector Hondo cover, and for for mm. our man in Hondo, cool collage stuff going on. Not your average cover, which I like a lot. In the Nerve Center, Tharg welcomes us to 1989 and teases several upcoming stories. There's a picture of Judge Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, All it's right. pretty good. Yeah. Letters a- letters ask for more high quality letters and compliment wow. uh, John John Higgins' art while insulting Tharg's self confidence. And the prog ends with a lovely star scan of Judge Anderson by Glenn Fabry. Really good. I, this one's pretty clearly sort of from a refer- from a reference picture of a, of of Deborah Harry. I could find one or two that were very close to this one, but still yeah. excellent. Prog six oh nine. The sushi hits the fan. In this dread cover. <laughs> so sorry. Bad oh. times. Um, <laughs> 
It's done by Mick Austin, and I think this is his first time in the Prague. His work, his first work on a thrill, won't be till next episode. The dread looks pretty and, good. I don't know, man. Like, I like some Austin covers. We're we're gonna see a bunch. I think one for like six forty three or something's one one of my favorites of all time. But this one, and especially one coming up for six eighteen that we'll see, are not very good. I don't like them very much. You, you don't like that upshot of the nostrils and the horse teeth. Not really. It's just a very weird looking dread. Like it mostly I just like reminds me of the of one spine. coming up that's got really weird like proportions and stuff. I like bendy spines. Sp- I like bendy spines in general. Yeah, I'm less into that bendy spine. <laughs> um, in the nerve center, Tharg demands more fan art. Apparently, supplies are getting low, and we get a very space marine looking agro dome participant and a very Mick McMahon looking uh, happy dread. He's smiling, which is never a good sign. No. Um. At the end of the prog, we get uh, Steve May's bits column about computers and video games. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty all right. Pretty neat read. Yeah, it seems like the NES hasn't, the Nintendo Entertainment System hasn't come to the UK yet. No. So the Sega Master System has the pitch all to itself, basically. And it's got itself a light gun. It also, I, I remember a friend of mine having these 3D glasses that they talk about. Oh yeah, these I, powered 3D glasses. Yeah, Crazy. I do not remember ever wearing them because I feel like we didn't have. I, cause I, I know we didn't, didn't have work very out- well. That's yeah, so that's that is exactly it. But we didn't have like Outrun or anything that apparently used it. But I like I because I what I can't remember is uh, like if they just had video within the thing, right? I, I think what it is is you plug them into the console as well, mm. and it does some stuff of like um, lightening Messing. and darkening yeah, parts yeah. Of, the, of the of the lenses to sort of give you a 3D effect. Yeah, I think in that game there, like in those games, there might be kind of a 3D mode. Also, I remember the NES had had something like that, in like Rad Racer, where it would like. You know, if you press select, it would, it would like double up the screen so that then you would sort of, you know, the glass would sort of magic eyes uh, your eyes into okay. giving you a 3D look, basically. Um, but yeah, so they go over per- peripherals. I was a Nintendo kid, so I'm not quite sure about all this stuff. Although yeah, I did no. say, Fox, in looking up this stuff, I did learn that the Master System is still selling very well in Brazil to this day, like Damn. by a third party. Like they sell like a like a hundred thousand like uh, master systems and Genesises in Brazil are like in fucking, 2015. Are you for real? That's rad. Yeah, and because of that, the the uh, master system is the longest lived console in history because it's like still alive in Brazil right holy, now. Holy crap! The Prague ends with a big ad for Crisis 2080 Monthly and the next Prague with a pinup of Judge Dredd on his bike by Richard Elson at the end of the issue. Yeah. Prague 610 Nightlife and Death in Zero City. Ah, uh, God, I love this cover it's a real like uh, movie 80s poster, movie poster yeah. kind of cover where every everything that happens in the movie is depicted on poster you <laughs> which know? i'm okay <laughs> with man totally yeah kev hopgood draws tanner and alana and tanner's looking real crazy yeah, on here stop <laughs> i'll shoot somebody with my, I'm, I'm gonna finger bang you <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. In the nerve center, Tharg warns that soon, in Prog 615, he will no longer be giving five pounds to letter writers, replacing Oof. them with the distribution of thrill power containment vessels, mm. which are basically large binders you can store your Prog collection in. All right, guy. There's pictures of Tharg the Alienate looking real weird, yep. and a strong tune bunny, Johnny Alpha Roger Rabbit mashup. <laughs> Letters ask how old Tharg is and how tough Dread is vary for both answers. <laughs> a request to see more judges from Dread's world and Tharg's like, oh, like we did Hondo. We're doing Hondo City right now. It's like, okay, buddy, I know when you pick these letters. Come on, um, man. 
There's some ruminations about Plato's Republic for some reason uh. and praise for the curse of the Spider-Woman story. Mm. Mid-prog, we get some interesting filler, basically during oh, uh, God, City yeah. of the Damned. Steve Dillon's art for Prog 404 was lost, so the artist had to completely redraw this with an incredibly fast turnaround time. Eventually, though, the the original pages were found, so now we can see them see the side-by-side art and buy ourselves five goddamn pages of prog with minimal effort. This I mean, is just, just shocking. really, this is shocking guys. stuff, Fox. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe they even did it. Like, it's, this does feel... I mean, for older annuals, this is kind of what I would have expected. No, this feels this feels extremely par for the course for an annual. Mm-hmm. But that's different than a prog, man. Like annuals, you're supposed to have filler. This like, is in a prog. This is shocking. This is really just like, come on, goddamn you guys. I mean, I, for the record, like it is kind of interesting just seeing the little differences and sure. stuff. Like there's, you, you can see just some changes in characters' stances and blockings and and whatever. But Jesus. Um, anyway, Prague ends the, with a preview for Swifty's return and a pretty cool star scan of Dread, Sadu, and a Hondo City Law yeah, Master by Kevin pretty, Walker. Pretty rad. I like it. They even remembered the groin zipper. Gotta. Listen, you know, they're working from a model here, so they gotta put that, put that in. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Prog 611, face off in Hondo. Colin McNeil draws Dread and Sadu in profile, looking angry. Ugh. In the nerve center, Tharg brags that 2000 AD is still just 35 pence instead of 38, though. Just FYI, it'll go up to 40 in October. What? I mean, it'll go up to 40, but there's also way more color and stuff. I think okay. that's one where the price increase is justified. Well, I'm, I'm squinting my eyes. Exactly. There's pictures of a big-eared Tharg the Mighty and a futuristic 2080 logo with the letters M-O-R in the middle. Hmm. I don't know how you pronounce that. I guess 2000 more AD. Letters include requests for Zenith albums and promotions of modern jazz music. Check out that jazz. (laughs) As well as uh, chicken and egg based questions. Mm. (laughs) The prog ends with a full page ad for Swifty's return, which we'll see next episode. Rad. I'm I'm excited for that because the the artist got got me real excited. Yeah, I think it's, it, it, it should be interesting. It's not going to be there for super long, but I think it will be a lot of fun. Just yeah. interesting. Just a bunch of slackers hanging out in time travel-y situations. Sweet. And, yeah. And speaking of folks hanging out in the future, Fox. Ooh, sweet. Thrill four, night zero. Oh, man. I've been waiting for this. Script robot John Brosnan, art robot Kev Hopgood, letting robot Jack Potter. I feel like last episode we dwelled a little bit too much on the kind of rapiness part of or oh, how sort I, of so like that, Tanner seemed like a weird dude. Yeah, and I feel none like he's of that matters anymore. It's all none gone. Of, yeah, so just none of that matters anymore. All I, of, I'm a little yeah. I'm just a little bummed that hung over the comic for like two episodes. Nah. But let's completely move on from that now. We're good to go. Oh no, this is now this is now the best. This is yeah. the best thing. Totally. So uh, last time we met cyber-armed taxi driver Tanner, living it up in the perpetual night of Zero City. So great. Currently cruising with a fair named Alana Price, who has a price out on her head Uh. for some unknown source. She gives him her address so so she can get a credit disc and pay him for his protection services. And Tanner, as they arrive, Tanner, who's jumpy, shoots a rat with his finger gun, mostly to establish the finger gun. (laughs) 
I will say also, just we see in the nightlife, there are just a, like there's a ton of like little things going on in the background, yeah, like, like monsters, oogie, oogie guys stalking them and stuff yeah. and that, that don't pay off in any way. They're just there to make this city seem weird and scary. Yeah, which is great. And then you get inside of her like super luxury fucking apartment where she restores yeah. antique fucking like uh, Ju- jukeboxes. jukeboxes and shit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, her, her giant apartment's full of jukeboxes and workout equipment. And yeah, she makes the jukeboxes a living. And the weights belong to her living boy toy, Leroy. We Which. meet him. He's bu- he's buff, mustachioed, and being held hostage by a gunman. Oh, my God. The hitman pops out and kills Alana, then <gasps> goes to take his leave. He's well, like, listen, I don't have a contract on you guys. Well, but hey, if you're in the... <laughs> I, love, I love the upsell that happens immediately after yeah. this. This is a hitman... <laughs> Who knows how to put his name out on the market? He's like, listen, yeah, you know, I, I you know, like, I'm, I'll just go. But if you guys are in the market for a hired killer, here's my card. You know, think about it. I, I overcame you guys, so you know, I'm pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Leroy isn't worried about this because he's a neo Buddhist and takes things as they come. All right, and bud. meanwhile, Tanner shoots him in the forehead with his finger gun. <laughs> it's well, it's like, oh, so your uh, confidentiality guaranteed, right? And he's like, yeah, man, like I wouldn't tell. You who hired me, even though I couldn't because he paid in advance and secretly, and then he finger bangs him right in the forehead. It's pretty great. That's Yowza. <laughs> um, Leroy, about Alana, Leroy says, ah, oh, there's plenty more where that came from. So oh, Tanner punches him in the face. Yeah, and because <laughs> dick, dick thing to say. It's just the body still there. And I love how he walks out two dead bodies and a knocked out pile, boy yeah, toy. Pile of corpses. Good times. It's real good. He goes back to his apartment, has a drink or two, and there's a ring at the door. It's Alana, alive, and making sarcastic comments about his bodyguard abilities. Wow. This is pretty awesome. <laughs> I love uh, I love how, you know, he goes back in and you're like, oh, it's kind of like valiant and valiant. Um, it's very noirish. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah things are, are extremely film noir as Alana walks around Tanner's apartment wearing a trench coat, like looking at his book collection and things like that. I, I love how she's just like... You know, nice place you don't have here, Tanner. You must keep your taste in your mechanical arm. I'm like, God, you're just a... What is revealed over the next three progs is how much of a total jerk ass this woman is. Hey, Alana wants what she wants. So it seems that the Alana Tanner met previously was actually a clone meant to flush out her killers with Blade Runner-style memory implants. Yeah, hey, why not? She was Alana, all that stuff. Hey, Um, man, clones... Like, after everything, like... Each time this prog goes up, it antes up with even more things that I love. <laughs> yeah. No, it's cool. So uh, they go to continue the investigation. And to do that, they head to the H2O Club, Stop. where a former military comrade of uh, Tanner's Dolly works. So I love this club. I didn't get it for a moment because I'm like, what are the umbrellas about? And then it just like clicks with me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a rain yeah. bar. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so Dolly's pretty plugged into the underworld, and she might have some answers. And yeah, like you said, this club seems cool. It's got a got a cat lady hostess and cyborg bodyguards. The walls have aquariums, and it's constantly raining in the place. So the cat lady's actually handing out umbrellas oh, as you enter the club. It's so great. It's just like, we. it doesn't rain outside, but you can get your noir rain in here. Absolutely. They meet with Dolly, who's a large, la- large lady in biker-themed bikini I, and fishnets. I love this woman. She is the best thing. <laughs> totally. She offers to get the info for 10, for 10 big ones, and a deal is struck. 
The pair head out to Tanner's cab, and we learn that uh, Dolly was Tanner's company sergeant when they were in the army. Yeah. Um, seems like a good company sergeant to have. She seems fucking badass. <laughs> seems pretty tough, yeah. But there's something wrong with his car. Yeah. It's not his. You can tell by the smell. Which, so he tosses a, uh, a garbage can into the windshield. This is so great. <laughs> and then the whole thing suddenly starts crunching and brunching its way into a teeny tiny cube. I swear to God. So that's not even the best thing that happens in this prog. <laughs> It's pretty good. It's, well, it's I mean, close. The, the, it's the, the close car was second. Ma- yeah. The car was made of uh, of memory metal, so if it was if it's touched, it returns to its original form, which I guess again was a goddamn cube. They need a new car, and Alana says they could borrow one from a friend of hers that lives nearby. But as they go, they're ambushed by a street gang in sweet medieval night armor. Which- oh shit! It's the Red Fair Furies. <laughs> <laughs> I love this so much. How could this have ended any better? <laughs> they got swords and balls and chains. Some of them have like punk mohawks oh, on their uh, so on their medieval great. helmets and stuff. It's Every, real dope. And uh, just giant chains with giant crosses on them. Just really, yeah. oh, it's fucking great. <laughs> I love totally. it. One of the knights comes at Tanner with a ball and chain, but Tanner just grabs him and tosses him at the other, and then it's yeah, time to run. Like, fuck off, and then just splitsville. Ugh. And they're Several just they're pursued by yeah. knights. They're pursued they by go. knights in armor. Luckily, like the, that that slows them down, so they're able to just you know to hoof it successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, several blocks later, they arrive at Alana's friend's building and are stopped by its heavily armed security system. Which, come on. Alana doesn't have an appointment, and it's after 2200, so the system open fire, opens fire. Luckily, Tanner dodges out of the Ugh. way, and uh, it instead just takes out the Ren Fair Furies. Oh, it's so great. I believe he flips them off as they just, like, as or flips the system off as he goes up the stairs with her. Yeah, they go up the stairs, and it's out of its, like, the transom range of the guns. Very Metal Gear Solid here. Um, <laughs> which, and just like Metal Gear Solid, of course, you have patrols on the stairs, and exactly like Metal Gear Solid, it's a goddamn tiger. <laughs> yeah. I think. Oh no! Well, you know, it's way bigger than an ocelot. I'll say that. Oh, 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 oh. Metal Ooh. Gear reference. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> Metal Gear. Yeah. So they Revolver go up the stairs, ocelot. and indeed, they are. The stairs are patrolled by a literal goddamn tiger. It's so fucking great. This fucking brug, or this whole fucking like thrill, is so goddamn good. There's a ring at the penthouse door as the posh Daryl and Miranda greet Alana and Tanner. And I love just how yeah. Tanner is, looks. He's like st- shocked, standing up straight. Covered. He's like his clothes are all ripped up and shit. And he's like, "That was that was a tiger. That was What's a going damn on tiger. here?" <laughs> Alana makes introductions, but Tanner can't shake Miranda's hand because she's a hologram and has been dead for quite some time. I like how she's like, "Oh, I completely forgot that I am dead." And it's like, "Oh, <laughs> this is rad." It keeps getting more rad. It's cool, man. Yeah, Miranda died four years ago, but Daryl had a recording of her brain made to create a virtual wife projected inside the apartment. Hey, cool. Live with the <laughs> live with your hot project wife forever, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Uh, Alana and Tanner can bear, can borrow her Mercedes and they drive out. Yeah, it seems she's Miranda not using was old, it. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, it's dead and all. Uh, they kind of talk about it as they go. It seems Miranda was old-fashioned, so she didn't have a clone made, and her personality transcription was done without her knowledge, which is mm, interesting. Exactly what he says, full on with ellipses. Yeah. Back at Alana's apartment, Leroy isn't surprised she's alive, and they yeah. have a message from Dolly. It seems Nemo can help them, and Tanner's not pleased by this fact. Mm. It seems he's already sent a guide to take them. Nemo's already sent a guide to take them to him. And Tanner is also angry about that as well. He doesn't <laughs> like this Nemo fellow. I mean, apparently, I mean, he keeps making jokes about how stinky it is. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, it, as they go down to the garage, a manhole cover opens and a dude with a hood and this kind of scythe hand yeah. thing. His hand is a big, like, reaper scythe comes out of the, Better of the, than uh, a of the manhole. every time. Way bigger than a hook, certainly. Yep. And like all classic 2008 protagonists, they head to the sewer. <laughs> sewer to get level. In, yeah, they get in a Zodiac and make their way fighting some cra- – like tossing grenades at a sewer oh, monster God. as they go. That was so rad. It's like, oh, I'm a big monster. Nope, no fight scene. Dude just hurls a goddamn grenade. <laughs> Keep going. Soon they arrive at, a, um, at, a, at like a, a sewer dock. And a dude in a smoking jacket greets them. Welcome to Hades. Next time, Nemo gets flushed with success. Get it? Because sewers flushed. Get it? I think that's the only next time we're going to have in this episode, actually. Uh, (laughs) Everything else either ends abruptly like Judge Dredd or, or, you know, like like there's no next time for for the next Judge Dredd story. uh, And otherwise, everything else just kind of comes to ends. uh, There isn't the the delivery... One? No, I think it's just like more Zippy Courier yeah. Adventures or something. Not really. Anyway. Man, let me tell you, I fucking loved this. I loved it so much. Yeah. It was great. It reminds me of like the zany fun that we used to have. Remember remember like when shit, you just didn't know what was going to happen because it's just so bizarre? I love this, and I really hope it doesn't pull a mean team on me because it's so goddamn <laughs> endearing. <laughs> I think, it, yeah, it's just some fun, like, sci-fi noir action in here. Yeah. I will say, I am glad to see uh, Brosnan really kind of putting his money where his mouth is in terms mm-hmm. of telling a good story and stuff. Yeah. Because he's so, you know, he, he's the guy who writes the flick columns. Mm-hmm. And so he's, so, he's so sour on so many things. That yeah, this is man. A real, this is a real, oh, I guess you shut me up by sort of having a fun story that I'm enjoying. <laughs> you know? I mean, fuck, he's he's making a great <laughs> cyberpunk story for me, you know. I'm loving Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Um, but as peak of stories with no next times, Fox, or at oh. least not for a long time. Oh, yeah. Thrill 5, Nemesis the Warlock. All right, put this baby to bed, dude. <laughs> Script by Pat Mills, art by John Hickleton, letting her about Tom, uh, Steve Potter. Steve Potter. So, extreme battle damage, Nemesis and Torquemada are having a crawl fight through a London train station when Brother Micron tosses Torquemada a gun, but instead it's caught by Jenny, that local girl that was being blackmailed to take that, – that Torquemada was blackmailing to take to the future to be his new bride, blah, blah, mm. blah. We get some like give me the gun, no give me the gun type situations Which, here. Which, come on, dude. Purity shows up and takes the gun for herself. Uh, Jenny runs, leaves the comic, and uh, Torquemada runs as well away from Purity with Mikron offering to sacrifice himself to let him escape. He agrees. Brother Murkon is dead. No. See you later, bud. You've served your final purpose. Yeah, Torquemada escapes and gets back to the Auto de Fe, where his wounds are fixed up, and he informs us that he wears a metal cup to protect his bowels or something, I guess. I mean, he's pointing right at his junk, so. Indeed. 
he's ready to head back to the far future once again and rule. My understanding is that basically he was waiting for Nemesis to reveal himself so that he could slip by him, and that's what he's done. All right. Um, well, I mean, he could have just not um, slipped by him the whole time, I guess. He wasn't around. I'm, ju- I'm just saying that, like, this is why um, he was there for 10 years or whatever, you know, just because sure. Nemesis would have been waiting or something. Anyway. Um, meanwhile, Purity and Nemesis are having a bit of a showdown. Purity needs Nemesis to give her a ride home, but after that, they're done. She'll free Earth from the grip of Torquemada without Nemesis's help, by God. Yeah, F you, dude. Anyway, the end of book nine. Yep. All right. Yeah, <sighs> it needs I a said, break. Yeah, I feel like we've sort of, like, this feels like it's limping along. Like, just, mm. I feel like... Pat Mills is, or you know, we're sort of getting tired of both of these characters, Torquemada and Nemesis, and need some need some distance to refurbish and get back yeah. out there. It's it's not at like a the, the the most low point I've seen of something in this case, right? Doesn't no, mean but like, I feel like get it, canceled it, halfway through, you know, a bunch of kill orders like Rogue's gonna get, I guess. Right, but it do, it it does feel like this is a point where Pat Mills has seen greener pastures and is bailing out. On he Nemesis, just claps you know? his hands. Throws him up to his to above his head and says, "I'm out." <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah. So like I said, yeah. So to that point, and 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 like I said, next uh, last episode, it'll be a while till we get back to Nemesis. Uh, Pat Mills is going to be in a very slain period for the next couple of years. Then we'll move on to other characters. Hey, I'm so ready Nemesis, for slain. Yeah, Nemesis will return very briefly in for like one or or three sh- uh, uh, prog shots in both '93 and '94. Okay. And we won't see book 10 with a conclusion of Nemesis, including the return of Kev O'Neill, until 1999. God, that is so long from now. Like, that's literally in, like, years. the 1100. Like, it, it's in the 1100s. It's, it's stories that I haven't, like, I've read the end of Nemesis just because I wanted to, to put a cap on that. Sure. But everything around that story I haven't read yet. I don't even know what goes on in there. Wow. Um, they were all, because it's just after Prog 5000, you know, <clears throat> or, or 1000, I should say. Um, it, this is also the final work by John Hinklinton in the Prague, sadly. No. You know, he's a really great artist, but don't fear all you Hinklinton fans out there because we'll see him in the magazine okay. where he'll continue to help define that publication as the more grown-up one with his, uh, you know, usual mix of body horror and disturbing sexiness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. I like, because I, no- I like that art. Yeah, no, listen, he's going to draw some real crazy-ass dreads. He's going to draw some, just a lot of, he's going to draw this X-faced dude okay. that's really going to going to give me nightmares in a couple years. Oh. It's going to be a good time. Okay. Um, and Pat Mills, of course, is a mere 18 progs away from playing with his new artist friend and meeting his destiny in Slaying the Horned God. We're nearly there. Rad. And speaking of characters heading off into the sunset, Fox. Uh. Thrill Six. Haphazard. He's out of here? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Scripter about Steve Dillon, art about Steve Dillon, letter about Tom Frame. On Fred's planet, yeah, Haphazard's buddy Tricky is watching soap operas to Hap's disdain. They head out onto the streets. They bump into their buddy uh, or slash enemy, Ron and Luigi Kango, Mm. who's fresh out of court. Later, they're drinking at a bar. Hap laments his current loveless state, and then they advance to drunken philosophy, as you do. Not a lot of action in this one. It just... You know, talking and telling jokes and things like that. It's basically the uh, the the clerks of 2000 AD. Sure. I mean, weirdly, it this like even though they say the end, it hooks into the next one. It's true. Yeah. On the night of their school reunion, Hap and Tricky are pretending to be sick so they don't have to go. Their girlfriends are going, 
and Tricky does want to go too. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. Um, they invite some buddies over, and it's the Skyball final, and sure. so everybody's come over, and they invite every other character we've met so far, basically, to come watch it. <laughs> the game's about to start when the lights go out, bad mm. times, Hap finds the fuse box, which informs him that his electricity has been shut off for non-payment. And don't tamper with me, bitch. Yeah, the others have to go to a local bar to watch the game. Hap wants to go too, but Tricky's worried about getting caught by their girlfriends. Mm-hmm. So instead, they say, stay home, but when the girls come back, they say the uh, reunion went out let out early and they went to a bar where they met the Kango twins and got the whole lowdown on this stuff. Uh-huh. So they kick Hap and Tricky out in the rain because they're tired of their lies. Oh, well, at least now they have to pay the electricity bill. <laughs> the end of Haphazard. That's real weird. That's, this is how it ends, huh? I mean, this feels like, I mean, this just feels like an ultimate, an ultra filler kind of story. You know, it's just yeah. like... Like um, Steve Dillon just sort of doing a solid. That's why he's the 88 MVP of just, um, you know, drawing up some guys walking around and, you know, writing some <laughs> random conversations on it. And just that's it. You it, know? Is, it is the clerks. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. So that's basically it for Haphazard. It'll actually come back. Um, there's one comp. Um, th- there was a Haphazard that, d- d- that is drawn but didn't have dialogue. Okay. I guess. And that will be used for a writing competition in 2000 AD. Oh. Um, like, here's a comic, you know, pr- submit your script for it, for the art. But okay. that won't be until 1999, so just don't even worry about it, basically. Uh, well, fuck it then. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of just casting things out here, you know? Mm-hmm. But speaking of a fast service, Fox. Hooray! Thrill 7 Zippy Couriers. Oh, man, I love this Higgins art, man. It's fun, yeah. Uh, script about Hillary Robinson, uh, art about Graham Higgins, letter about Steve Potter. We've seen Hil- Hillary Robinson do future shots before, but this is her first regular thrill. I, and it's pretty good. It's endearing. How's that? Yeah. My understanding is that this story or, or some earlier version of Zippy Couriers appeared elsewhere, mm-hmm. which allowed Robinson to retain her rights to the characters, Ooh. which is why this story has never been, been re- reprinted, basically. Oh. <laughs> Also, uh, I talked a little bit, a bit about Graham Higgins in the uh, in the winter special this year. I believe he did the Luke Kirby story. Um, mm. From what I can tell, he's not related to do uh, John Higgins. However, but anyway, anyway gotcha. a lot of Higginses. <laughs> too many Higgins, or I guess Higgins. not enough. If the, if two Higgins are good, what's the three then? Henry Higgins. Oh wow, <laughs> real pe- Pygmalion stuff. Anyway, so Shauna McCullough works for Hearst Couriers, but is not appreciated by her boss. She's I love her hair. Tr- oh yeah, she's got this big. Yeah, she's this lady in, in a jumpsuit. She's got a big mop of of a, of a curly hair. It's pretty, mm-hmm. you know, very interesting character here. A big change from your standard two thousand AD protagonist. I'd yeah, say. she kind of she looks a little bit Greek. I'd say, or you know, mm, like what you might can think of it. as like a like a a New York Jewish woman, or a, a, a Marina Sirtis, perhaps. Oh yeah, I like that. It, it does feel kind of Marina Sirtisy. Right, just not, you know, yeah, just, just in, her, in her day-to-day life, not when she's going full a Counselor Troy. You know oh, what I'm talking about. You know, everybody knows what I'm talking about. But here. but um, not in those, like, sleazy films that she had to do before she got on there that she fucking hated. Well, like, the look of that, about. but not, but in, instead she's being a cool, like, delivery lady, so she's yeah, into man. it, you know. Who's, who wants um, to start her own business? She's an actualized yeah, she, female. Totally. Shauna's just traveled uh, 117K in 28 minutes in rush hour, and her boss just says, what kept you? 
which is a jerk. He's got a fresh delivery for her, a long way to go with a short time to get there. So she's smoking and smoking the banditing. That's uh, pretty great. She says she's saving up for her own courier company mm-hmm. as she listens to the news that an ex-transport minister named Garson has died and is about to be buried, which is a luxury only the rich enjoy yeah, in this future. Because you can all I mean, all that all land is right now uh, only to be used for housing, commerce, and food. Because there's not a lot of it. <laughs> Exactly. Shauna doesn't like this guy because he lifted a lot of regulations on courier services, mm. making her life difficult. Yep. <laughs> um, worried about what she's carrying, though, she takes a, a peek in the box, and it's a human head, and in fact, the head of that Garson guy. That's real weird. <laughs> That's just really yeah. weird. Peaked by curiosity, Shauna heads not to her delivery location, but to the graveyard where Garson is currently being buried. Which is and the noble thing to do at that point, I feel like. Absolutely. Yeah, she kind of talks to the widow and says she might have something that the body's missing, I guess. And we quickly learn that the body's being held for ransom, and so Garson's widow has Shauna grabbed. Yeah, like, you're the ransom person, which, I mean, immediately no ransom person is going to come to your face they like might, that. I, I mean, maybe, but anyway. Shauna, Shauna, yeah, Shauna isn't having it, though. I mean, she agrees with you, Fox. Breaks free and tosses the head of the window, like, here, take it. Later, over tea, Shauna explains the situation, and it will be hard to, like, find these headnappers because they kind of use a third-party cutout to mm. get to buy the, to the courier and stuff. And she's also bummed because failing to make a delivery will make McCullough be blacklisted from the delivery game. In exchange for her silence, though, Mrs. Garson gives McCullough an envelope and sends her on her way. Shauna opens the envelope and, whoa, it's enough to start her own company. Zippy Couriers Hell is go. yeah. Pretty cool. She does say earlier, like, compliments around flying. Like, ah, oh, it's pretty uh, zippy flying yeah, here, right? Yeah, you know, interesting. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Indeed. So, Shauna's the only pilot for, Zip, for Zippy, but there is another employee, her sister Moira. And don't they fail, the, don't they fail the test in this particular scene? Like, isn't it... Uh, uh, oh, oh, the Bechdel test? Yeah, because they end up talking about Genghis. That's true. I mean, I guess but, they kind of talk about delivery they, information, they don't stuff like fail, that as well. But where they don't fail is at the special occasions uh, place. Where two female right, characters yeah. talk about, I guess, just uh, cookies. Listen, 2000 AD has passed the Bechdel test ever since either um, Nessie and uh, Colonel Volgaska <laughs> traded insults. That's, oh, my God. That on was the shores the... of Loch Ness in Invasion. <laughs> that was the best. Or when they fucking, like, they tussled at that point, right? They beat oh, the yeah, shit no, they had out a wrestling of each match, other. Yeah. And Ugh. or um, what in freaking Death Planet when oh. Lorna Varn got you know Lorna Varn was blonde and there was an evil brunette lady mm. and they kind of talked about crystals and shit like that <laughs> was like another isn't that when they learned about Pikachu's being telepathic that was early, telephones that was er- earlier in Death Planet but they did have telepathic squirrels yes <laughs> um, anyway God damn it. <laughs> so Sean is off on her first job for Zippy Couriers picking up some fancy cakes. The bakery's a real Hansel and Gretel kind of affair, complete with a fairy baker that hands over the package. Oh, that think- whole exchange was so fucking tedious, and I loved how much she was just kind of, like, glancing at the viewer like, this is stupid. I thought the fairy was kind of weird, though. Like, I don't know. Uh, whatever. I'm not it's sure. The, like, it, it's the whole I don't want to talk thing. too much about it. But yeah, no, it's it weird. Is- 
there is a pretty funny part where uh, where the fairy, like her, the counter of her place, this giant chocolate bar, oh, you yeah. see her break off a chunk and eat it as like Sean is heading out, which reminds me of those – because that one like Japanese show where – they put people in a room and various parts of the room are made of chocolate and you have to like test if it is or not by by biting into it. Whoa, and what? There's this there's this gif of this dude that like bites into a doorknob and the doorknob breaks off and it's a piece of chocolate. He's like, ooh. What? It's crazy. The, what the fuck? It's really good. They eat a shoe and it's made of chocolate. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. All right. I'll I'll, I'll send you a gif after this. That episode. would be fantastic. <laughs> So Shauna flies off, but hears a voice shouting for help, causing her to leave the traffic line for a moment. Mm. And we just get a little bit of the world here of like they have flying cars, but the car but that means that they've just sort of morphed into highways. Like like the flying cars all have to kind of line up yeah. highway style. You well, because you can't have them flying everywhere. Things will just explode. Right. But things are going much faster, so it seems like cops instead of like writing a ticket, like like paint the side of your car. Sort of mark uh, yeah. you as being a traffic violator and stuff. But anyway, um, the voice in her head is from Dara, a drambet, which is a type of drambon. Um, <sighs> and it's coming from inside the box she's delivering. So, uh, Shauna McCullough is forced once again to open a package that she's delivering <laughs> two <laughs> in this, a row. Is this going to be like a recurring thing? Because that's just going to be – that's going to be good. And Dara seems to be some kind of fancy donut. Oh, geez. No help. I'm a fancy donut, but I'm sentient. Yeah, luckily they pull the donut out and replace it with one of Moira's carob-based fruit and nut specials. Uh. Which, um, so they swap it out and Shauna goes off delivering. But as she does, Moira sees that her boyfriend has eaten Dara and the dram bed is now becking for help from inside his stomach. Oh, my God. I... <laughs> I mean, he doesn't seem to mind. I mean, he's just more sort of in shock at this point. And and we'll get some more Zippy this next episode. Zippy Corios! So awesome. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Just like some good, like, this feels like kind of sitcom-y action. Yeah. But but I was going to say, just with like some light, just like, you know, sci-fi things also added in. So it's a fun combo. It's incredibly endearing. And I stand by that. Like, she's just kind of a, she's a neat character. It's like low stakes, but, you know, kind of fun. Yeah, no. I would I would describe this. I would describe Zippy Couriers generally as low stakes and light. Yeah, is a is a blessing and a curse, kind of. Yeah, Um, I mean, you know, it. Let's we'll see if it gets kind of you know samey, but so far so good. Yeah. Anyhow, speaking of curses, Fox. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Through eight, Walter the Wobot. I'm just gonna because we've done this before. I'm just gonna kick my feet up. I'm going to listen to you rehash this as fast as possible. I hate Walter the Robot. I will never like Walter the Robot. And certainly uh, this one did not make it any less um, yep. that. Anyway, oh, as yeah. you were. Script robot Gary Rice, art robot Brendan McCarthy, lettering robot Peter Knight. This story first appeared in the 1981 Judge Red Annual, the first Red Annual. And it, was our, it was our episode 54. Uh, I'm just reusing the text I did for that one because screw that. And in other news, this uh, piece of filler is an insult and I've never been so angry. Fuck all eight pages of this shit, Fox. I I hated it when we first read it. I hated it. I mean, I... I did... I'm going to be honest. I didn't reread it. I didn't. So... We open on the Eisner building and the first of many references to Will Eisner's classic comic book, The Spirit. Um, I... 
Mm. Sorry, uh, there's a this story is very similar to the entire to a story that Eisner wrote called Elevator, but it does seem very similar to this one. Basically, it's a parody, but Walter based in the Eisner building. There's a lot of there's a lot of crime going on in one night. Businessman uh, heads up to swindle a client. The businessman's assistant is stealing the businessman's diamonds. Walter has spent all of his credit on a present for Judge Dwed, but the man selling it says it's rubbish. A terrorist cell sends out an agent with a book filled with a bomb, and a woman named Wanda catches her husband with another woman and shoots them both. But not before Wanda's husband shoots back and misses the stray bullet damaging the elevator's building. The sorry, the building's elevator circuits. So all these people, the greedy, the evil, the jealous, and Walter all get in the same elevator, but it's too heavy. The elevator breaks and is stuck between floors, and no one will be in to check on it till Monday. So everyone will be stuck there for two days, and everybody freaks out, of course, especially when the elevator reveals that Walter's circuits could fit, could fix the controls. Uh, everyone confronts Walter, but he doesn't want to surrender his circuits. Circuits? I don't know. Um, after, at this point, a fight breaks out and everybody reveals their various evils. The lady pulls her gun. The assistant takes it but drops his diamonds, which then gets stepped on and crushed, revealing that uh, they're fake. When everyone tries to uh, tries to lift Walter to the roof of the elevator to fix the situation with his circuits – sorry, without giving up his circuits – they fall and the terrorist bomb is triggered. They toss it out the roof of the elevator and it goes off. The pressure forces the elevator down to the ground floor and everybody's able to escape. But hold on, they've all done crimes and by Quikey, Walter is going to put them under citizens of West. He, re- he reveals that his gift for Dwed was a set of manacles capable of holding four criminals at once. So he cuffs all these folks and prepares to lead them to the nearest judge. But the criminals all realize the cuffs are made of cheap uh, plastiline, which only needs a few good pulls until they uh, can all escape and run into the night. You've wooed Judge Dwed's present! Oh, take a bow, man. I'm so sorry you had to do that alone. <laughs> I hate Walter the Robot. I hate this. Let's move on to other things that drive us insane. I will say I'm real glad that there's been no like absence making the heart grow fonder for our feelings about Walter. Oh, like, I mean, just... if anything, it just it. I mean, the vinegar just add like gets more vinegary. <laughs> Listen, it's been 40 years and Walter's still goddamn canceled, guys. That's the fact. I Look, I I went through... No, we both. We both went through the Waltery trenches. We shouldn't be forced to revisit the horrors of that time. Can't agree more. And speaking of um, tests of Conrad and Fox Endurance, Fox. Oh my god, it really is a goddamn <laughs> marathon. Thrill 9, Future Shocks. How many were there? Was it like a hundred? Nine? Oh my god. Two, three, four, five, six. No, 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 just six, it looks like. It still feels like a hundred. It's a lot. There's so um, many pages. Like basically every um every prog this month had either had two future shocks and some filler stuff or something like that. Okay. Like it'd be a future shock and there'd be a haphazard and there'd be a wall or a Walter uh, or like a Steve Dillon art comparison thing, something like that. Like so fillerific. Uh they are not they are not uh paying attention to our time. I read filler here, first. Fox. That was the first yeah. thing I did just so I could have fun with the rest of my reading session. <laughs> Okay, so here we go. 
Uh, first story is called Accidents. Script about Larry Watson. Art about Richard Ellis or Elson. Letting about Johnny Aldrich. And again, I just want to say things are rough for 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. Again, we got these long-term feature no one wants to write and they don't got the money for them. So in keeping with the long-term talent or, – or sorry, and, and, they're, and they're having trouble keeping the long-term talent that we've seen before. So we've got a lot of first-timers just coming in doing future shocks and stuff. In this case, uh, Larry Watson will do a couple more future shocks in the next few months. Still, no reason, Fox, just to kind of lift our moods. Oh. We can't get out the air horns and get shocked. <laughs> oh, yeah, I cannot wait. Some aliens land on Earth right on the side of a car wreck. They have a code of non-interference, but screw that. That's stupid. Uh, one fixes up the car, giving it some huge upgrades. Another fixes up the human, giving him, making him super smart, but also mind wiped and get something he was missing. A third eye like they have. <laughs> plopping eyes in your head. I wonder, I wonder if they were thinking that he was third eye blind. Step back from that edge, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was great. Love that. Love it. Next up, in the beginning, script robot Larry Mm. Watson, art robot Dave Day Antiquist. I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name. It's tough. Uh, Larry robot John Aldrich. Mm. Pretty common future shock story here. Three pager, one mostly black page. So super filler. In the beginning, there was darkness in the Big Bang, then the Earth formed, it developed civilization, and destroyed itself in a futile war. Turns out it's just a report some alien kid was given to his class. Now let's move on to something interesting. <laughs> because of our warlike ways, we'll only be a tiny footnote in history. Oh, great. Hooray. Thanks, Future Shocks. Next up, Time to Wake Up, script about Larry Watson, art about Jose Ortiz, something about John Aldrich. Uh, final work in the prog here for Jose Ortiz, who Aww. we'll remember from the Horst saga of Rogue yeah. Trooper about 200 progs ago. I love or, his line work in this. Yeah. Or if you're following along with Where Eagles Dare, he did work for uh, the Tower King and House of Damon. Anyway, a couple of dudes in lab coats wake a man up from suspended animation. He was frozen because he had cancer and was waiting for a cure. However, instead, he's being woken up in 1990 where there's no cure for cancer. But there has been a nuclear war and winter, and it's about to destroy all life on Earth. So they figured he'd want to be awake to see it. Oh, the only reason to be awake is to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guess your millions meant nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Fet Chance. Uh. Script robot John Tomlinson, art robot Simon Jacob, learning about Steve Potter. First time in the prog for both Tomlinson and Jacob. And both these guys are going to do a ton of stuff in 2000 AD. Tomlinson's also working behind the scenes for the prog to on some editorial things. Mm-hmm. He's doing some design work currently for the annuals and special and will actually spend some time as Tharg in the mid-90s. Well, also do a lot of writing, including Armored Gideon, Mercy Heights, and number one source of derision in 2000 AD, the Space Girls. Okay. Yeah. If you want to be my space lover, you got to get with my space friends, Fox. Um, oh. <laughs> it's explicitly a Spice Girls reference. It's explicitly a Spice Girls parody coming to us eventually. Oh, no. Uh, si- Simon Jacobs also going to do a ton of 2000 AD work. He'll also do Armored Gideon with Tomlinson, as well as a bunch of tales from the doghouse and the equally maligned, along with the Space Girls story, Dead Meat, which is about why you should be a vegetarian. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, this Future Shock has some important elements just for some firsts, I guess. I guess. But death visits a lorry driver named Bernard Lardinelli. I see what's uh, going on here. Because he's, he's a bigger guy. And because it sort of sounds like uh, Bell Ardinelli, the artist, you know. Mm. Um, 
anyway, uh, he's he, uh, Lardinelli's eaten this salt, salt, salty sausage sandwich. Mm. But before he can die, he thinks fast and offers Death ways to kill thousands of people ahead of their time. Death agrees and lets uh, Bernard live, and he creates Globulo, the cheapest and unhealthiest food source in the history in human history. People eat it by the pound and die of heart disease instantly. Bernard gets rich, but even that isn't enough to stop death, who now arrives and claims Bernard's soul. He's died of executive stress. Uh, always uh, try to keep things cool. <laughs> I mean, it just feels like there's such an overt message here, but I can't put my finger on it. I just don't understand why death cares if people die of heart disease or not. It's not like if they don't eat globulo, they aren't going to die, Fox. Yeah. They're going to die. I feel, and death's <laughs> just kind of timeless, and it's not like he's got a quota. Or at least if he does, then, we, you know, that should be explained in the comic. That's what I'm trying to say. It's just, it was a weird one. Yep. Uh, next up, Enterprise. Stuart, uh, script over Stuart Edwards, art about Kevin Walker, learning about John Aldrich. Mm. In Darkest Milton Keynes, Donald Flump and inventors created a device. Suddenly the room shakes and Space Cop, I mean uh, Leonard Schmutzlap, <laughs> warps into the room. It is Space Cop. Yeah. He wants to buy Flump's device, the first time machine, for 100 quasi-credits, a.k.a. solid gold. All right. Uh, Flump agrees and Letters takes it and warps away. Flump gets the gold, puts it in his safe, and readies another uh, first time machine, awaiting another advent- an- another visitor that will come to buy it. Oh, man. Great. <laughs> Take advantage of time paradoxes for fun and profit. <laughs> I mean, how do you know the next guy's going to pay you? It's true, although I think just a lot of people, like, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like he's taking his chances, I guess, or something like that. <laughs> All right. You know, like for every for every one person that holds you up, you get two or three people that give you a ton of gold. So it sort of works out. Yeah. You know, you know the law of averages says. Yeah. <laughs> Final story. Writer's block. Script uh, robot Mike Collins. Art robot Simon Jacob. Learning about Tom Frame. This is too meta for its own good, I feel like. It, it really is one of those ones where it's hanging so many lampshades that sort of starts being whatever, gets to fun <laughs> meta, and then goes back around to like, okay, buddy. Um, all 2080 scripters fear writer's block, and it's now hit prospective future shock writer Gavin Alton. He needs 10 ideas for Tharg tomorrow, and he can't think of one. He tries stealing from the classics, including spy novel art author Jeffrey Archer. That was sort of the rule of threes joke here. You know, mm-hmm. Shakespeare, Dickens, Archer. Um, he dithers and starts rejecting several future shock plots, uh, like, like killing your own grandfather or the monster in your nightmares, actually your alien wife that you kill. You know, uh-huh. sort of you killing your wife, but your alien wife. These both, of course, actual future shock stories as aliens land in his front yard and each claims Earth. Or sorry, one lands and claims Earth for the Empire of Morda. And Asgav rejects a story where a guy realizes he's a robot and his faceplate pops open, which I think we saw actually like, like last Prague episode. Yeah, as, as I mean, plot. just so many. Um, another alien lands claiming Earth for Vanagar the Violent. Gavin rejects both. This was actually really a video game. And the last survivor of Earth is named Adam Stories. Okay. Definitely, which are both Alan Moore uh, Future Shocks, I believe. Yep. Um, as the aliens squabble over various legal claims, um, he rejects the alien planet is actually Earth as I mean, the aliens draw weapons, vaporize each other. 
if you need 10 ideas, just do what everyone else does and just do exactly the same thing they did, but kind of like small spin. Exactly. The two aliens draw guns and vaporize each other. And Gavin sort of like opens up his window to be like, shut up, I'm trying to write. But just sees a bunch of smoking ash piles. He's like, fine, whatever, back to work. Ugh. Back at writing, he theorizes a story about how maybe a Shakespeare-looking time traveler goes back to Elizabethan times and actually <laughs> writes Shakespeare's play. Again, that was an Alan Moore one. Yeah. Um, and listen, all I can say, Fox, is I am super pissed because uh, what about tiny alien, alien invasion fleet actually being tiny? <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! That was never mentioned, but I guess I'm it was before that time. There. No, I mean maybe, but that feels like a pretty well easily I, done one. It's the most greased wheel in the entire wheelhouse of 2018. Anyway, like I said, like I do like the idea. Like I feel, um, there was a Grant Morrison one I remember. Maybe it was in a special or something where all the Future Shock plots play out at once. Like like they actually happened to somebody, and that oh. was like fun future shock that sort of yeah. played with the I, with I the with the meta nature of these um of these future shocks. I, yeah. This one this one just felt more like it was just shading a bunch of other people who write future shocks. We're workaday writers, and listen, Mike Collins, like you just don't have the pedigree to do that, buddy. Like <laughs> maybe maybe Alan Moore could, but uh, you're you're too new. You're Alan, too, Alan, un, yeah, Alan, un, you know. Alan Moore yeah, made some of the most iconic ones, quite frankly. You got to be in like a uh, a real heady space to start really pulling, to start pulling, start throwing these rocks. Ah, you know, so that, true. That Shakespeare one was on the cover of the Prague. I... You know, <laughs> <laughs> for God's sake, get out. Anyway, here. yeah, all that said, Fox. Oh God. I must know this quest. I must know the answer to these questions. I think you one. already know the answer to these questions. A question in two parts. And it is, what were your top and bottom thrills for January 1989? Hey, what a, what a month. What a year, right? <laughs> Fucking, if January 1988 is was my best month, uh, or whatever. I guess it was technically I mean, it wasn't, February. But it was, it was up there. Yeah. I mean, you know, fucking goddamn it. <laughs> Talk about cast and shade here. Sorry, uh, buddy. No, I love you. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, obviously, fucking so, so obviously, there's only uh-huh. one choice for top, my man. You All know right. what it is? It's fucking what, Night what Zero. It was ridiculous. Nice. There were, there were knights in armor and clones and a fucking H2O bar that was quite literally raining on top of people. There was a tiger that attacked a man and a holographic dead woman and just a car that crushed in on itself. Everything about it went from strength to strength of just like being a funny a funny, fun story. Remember those? It was real yeah. nice because it was like the only one. I mean, Judge Dredd, <laughs> don't get me wrong, it's fine. And I think Judge Dredd is pretty good. Let me let me put it this way. Anything that that was a was a thrill was fantastic. However, <laughs> the top of that pile for me is definitively Night Zero. And the bottom, because I'm not ever you know what? I'm even going to differentiate this one. I'm not even going to go out and say all of the filler. You know what I'm going to say is my bottom thrill? What do you Fucking got Walter the Robot. And I'm Fair. done. Dro- I've dropped this <laughs> mic, man. I hope you have some solidarity here. I'm interested to know what you think. So what were your top and bottom thrills? Well, obviously, yeah. All the all of them future shocks and Walters and haphazards. 
Um, bad, man. Yeah. I don't like it. And I'll <laughs> like Daily Dreads too, basically. Like, I mean, so, so a lot of these things are things that in isolation, I think are good and yeah. could be likable. Absolutely. But just having all of it in there to the point where, yeah, basically like of the 35 pages, like <laughs> – at least ten of them are, or, like, or more. like half half the prog is basically filler and ads at this point. And yeah, that's no good. That's, that's no good. That to me shows like that's like the death knell of a comic. You know, it's it's bad times for sure. I mean, like I will say, this is a we're in a in a bad point and we'll be re- mm. and we'll we'll recover from it um, eventually. But by the end of the year, we'll be in a good spot. I think this is All sort right. of. Definitely a downturn that we recover from. Um, for my top, I think originally I had Dread as my top. I like that story a lot. It's mm-hmm. got some action and intrigue. I like uh, the introduction of the of the city of Hondo and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you've convinced me to do Night Zero because, yeah, you're right, man. There's some really crazy fun stuff in this story. It's like due to the- man finger bangs, everybody. All the film noir stuff's real mm. neat. Just this crazy world that's drawn by drawn really well by by Kev Hopgood on oh, these little yeah. side things just going on in the background and stuff. These little pieces of art mixed in and stuff. It's Details. all a lot of fun. Yeah. And then, yeah, just the general ridiculousness of the story. That tiger in the stairwell. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely chef's guess. Like, I did not expect want, it you know? at exactly. all. Oh. Yeah, so I, I will I will agree with you. Got some solidarity going into the new year here. Oh, fucking beautiful. And uh, we'll see where 1989 takes us. I think it could be a good time generally, although we aren't seeing that just yet. <laughs> I, you know, I think I'm I'm going to pull this from Red Letter Media. Fuck you! It's January. <laughs> it's, it's it's true. This is like, I mean, it's tough because last year's January was really awesome. Mm-hmm. That was Simon Bisley bursting onto the off. scene. And crazy Oz stuff and things like that. This one has a very sort of January in the movies kind of feel where we just got to keep things moving and so where we're just tossing things off to keep ourselves moving instead of actually trying to have a ton of, of, of good stuff. Um, and anyway, <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Store, Spotify, podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Contact us at spacepinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacepinner2k. For everything else, look up at spacepinner2000 and you should find us there. And I'll say just because we're starting a new year here, like, hey, you know, feel free to like leave a review for our show where you listen to it. I guess if, if, if it has reviews. You know, I'm told reviews in iTunes mm-hmm. are helpful, although I don't have any proof of that. Yeah. Like, you know, if you know somebody that reads 2000 AD and you haven't been like, hey, you should listen to this podcast where they talk about all the classic stuff, you know, yeah. this old stuff from the day. Like, definitely do that, man. And hey, you know. we're coming to the 90s, which I guess uh, everybody loves, right? I mean, it's undiscovered country at the very least. Oh, I feel God. like as we as we talk about the '90s, we're really doing the most '90s scholarship, '90s 2000 <laughs> scholarship that's available. It's but you true. know, just generally gonna be like, hey, buddy, like check this out. You know, I should have a new listener episode up coming up pretty soon, just to kind of like help people get up to speed. And uh, yeah, you know, listen, we're about to do the horde god. Whatever, tell your friends. It's we're gonna, about, it's gonna about, be about, about, about uh, thrills. So rad. Yeah, it's gonna be so and, rad. So bad. And with that, come back next week as Judge Anderson shows us the dangers of meditation and then goes for a night on the town. 
Judge Dredd meets Little Mo. Alana dies at least one more time in Night Zero. <laughs> um, oh, wow. We remain hip deep in Future Shocks and Swifty, Str- Strontium Dog, and the Spider Woman all return. Oh, man. That and until sounds then, pretty good. It should be fun. Yeah, I'm ready. And until then, I'm Con Reddy's Fox, and we are Space Moon 2000. Splodging the